0: and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. With me today is author and creator of the Viking Verse, Ian Stewart Sharp, to discuss the forthcoming collection of books 1 through 3, and the newly released issue 4 of The Jotun War. The book is funded on Kickstarter and open until July 17, 2021. You can still back this and get a PDF or printed copy. Ian likes to imagine he is descended from Guthrum, King of the East Angles, although DNA tests and a deep disdain for camping suggest otherwise. He is the author of two novels set in the alternate Viking verse The Allfather Paradox and Loki's Wager. As a child, he discovered his love of books, sci-fi, and sagas, devouring the works of famous authors alongside Snorri Sturluson and Sigvat the Skald. He once won a prize at school for outstanding progress and chose a dictionary as his reward, secretly wishing it had been an Old Norse phrasebook. It took him 30 years, but he has finally released his dream. Ian, welcome to Gifts of the Weird. I'm thrilled to have you with me. Thank you very much for having me. That bio sounds uh, very impressive. Yes, I'm, I'm particularly averse
1: to camping. So I wouldn't in reality make much of a, a good Vikings stomping through the the fens and fjords because I, I don't think I could stand to have my feet wet. <laughs> you
0: know, I um, for for several years I was, and I still technically am, a member of a living history group who are from the Viking era. And we have had a lot of fun and a lot of camping adventures. As I am getting older, I'm into my 50s now, I'm thinking... I'm not quite sure about camping so much anymore. So (laughs) I'm kind of getting with you on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't say we moved to canada a while ago i lived up in victoria bc now and you know the great canadian outdoors everyone is uh, beholden to it and summer comes
0: and you have to go out and and
1: get surrounded by mosquitoes in a tent i just just not for me i'd rather stay by my keyboard
0: <laughs> i understand it does have its wonderful experiences as well so yeah tell me how tell us how did how you got into norse mythology how did that attract you as i imagine a child and what kind of books were you reading or what came across your hands as a, as a kid that interested you in, in Norse mythology.
1: Yeah, so as that bio talks about, I was uh, brought up in a place called East Anglia, which if you look at a map of England is the kind of bump on the uh, right-hand side that's closest to Scandinavia uh, and certainly the place where uh, all of the uh, you know, the great heathen army first descended. Um, so 865 or thereabouts, the Sons of Ragnar turn up on, on English shores to avenge their father, the old boar, and uh, they start in East Anglia, and, and then having overrun the country and tussled with King Alfred, by the 10, 15 years later, the Danelaw was set up, and King Guthrum uh, sets up his uh, part of the Danelaw uh, in East Anglia, and he's, he's then mm-hmm. King of the East Angle. So um, that then, that kind of story, that picture, that Tapestry really did infuse my childhood. You know, when you grow up and you you know that that's part of the landscape. When you know that that's part of the the archaeology, the digs, the the history. You know, that's it's, it's just such a set of rich stories. It always uh, always stuck with me, and it's um, only in later life that I got the opportunity to start really writing about them. But I think um I make the joke about it's the Vikings aren't part of my DNA, because in a in a very literal sense, I don't think it's possible. Right? Viking Viking is a is a trade. You can't actually have Viking in your DNA. You might have a bit of Scandinavian. Um, you might have a bit of uh, Saxon. You might have mm-hmm. a bit of angle um, in your DNA, but uh, not Viking. But nevertheless, you know, there's something of those stories that stuck with me and, and
0: infused
1: my very being.
0: That seems to happen to a lot of people, especially now with the current uh, TV the Viking, yes, yes, yes. Uh, history's History Channels Vikings uh, has definitely awakened a lot of people to be interested in that.
1: Yeah, I saw an article just the other day about the fact that, in actual fact, Viking Viking video games are the new are the new zombie games as well, right? There used to be so many zombie games, and now you can't move for Valheim or Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and you know, there's 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 so much attention being paid to uh, the Norse and Norse mythology that you know, it is a good time to be part of that zeitgeist.
0: It really is, isn't it? And the graphic novel here or the collection of the Jotun War, and we'll talk so much more about this, especially the artwork, it's just gorgeous. I mean, the the story is is fantastic and the, the artwork is really great. So I uh, I think it's really, I think it really is a great time. And there's so many people that are interested and, and, you know, a a lot of people are very interested in the Marvel version of the gods and goddesses and, and the stories through uh, Loki and Thor and the Avengers and all of that. So there really is a lot of really cool stuff happening. And I was reading Thor comic books when I was a kid. So that back in the seventies, so that was, uh, it's always been a, Part of the fabric of my personal reality. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) it is interesting, that isn't it? You know, the 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 iconic mighty Thor with his four uh, bright yellow circles, and just how. How so many people are introduced to Norse mythology through that character. But it also is quite controversial in the sense that as paganism grows and swells, a lot of people find that the kind of monetization of the gods that they really do believe in and follow, and, and not just as caricatures, you know, they feel very possessive and 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 very anti-Disney about the way that they're portrayed, and I actually had a conversation with someone over Twitter, as you do, mm-hmm. um, about the fact that uh, yeah, listen, the 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 God as you know him, the gods as we know them, really the result of of one man. You mentioned him in the bio. It's uh, you know Snorri. Snorri sat down in the Middle Ages and conflated a whole bunch of oral traditions into a the first written editors, the prose edders, brought them all together, and in doing so, layered in all kinds of things that ought not be there. I mean, it's a bit like baking a cake and adding in a bit too much Christianity, right?
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand that because uh, I practice uh, a Germanic spirituality and I see that, And but I am able to separate fiction from, well, Marvel fiction anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and would you consider Snorri possibly the first graphic novel or trade paperback? (laughs) Well, it's certainly a
1: work of propaganda. And that's what people ought to recognize as well, right? A lot of the in this way that he couches it and designs it is to curry favor from the Norwegian king of the time and to to make himself more popular in the eyes of the powers that be. And so, you know, that's that's one of the that's one of the essences of any kind of organized religion or or when people try and tell stories of gods is that because it's inherently from the perspective of mankind, whether you believe that it's it's delivered as a mouthpiece of the gods or or what have you, it's still a flawed delivery because all humans are flawed and they're they're delivering it, um, perhaps on the behalf of some kind of cosmic entity. But they're delivering it with their own whims and wiles and aspirations in mind. And that, that's a fascinating thing when you look at the, the written word, as it comes down in any religion, who wrote it in the first place? Yeah. A little bit of dog barking in the background. Can, can you hear that? Should I attempt
0: to get that quietened? No, don't worry about it. It's, it wasn't very much. And it just shows us that, uh, Hey, life goes, life is happening. This is wonderful. <laughs> so, um, how did writing come to you? How long have you been writing about Norse mythology? Or have you written other types of, of novels or fiction? Or how has this come about? What what projects led you to where you are? T- so
1: I started off with um, my debut novel was The all Father Paradox. And um, I was writing that in 2016 after my own personal Ragnarok, by which I mean that... I was in charge of a, a company, an esports company, a video game company, and uh, it went horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was—I was given a six months' pay, uh, and I thought, you know, what I'm going to do with my six months' pay is I'm going to write that that book that was inside me. Uh, everyone's meant to have a book inside them. I'm not necessarily sure it's a, a good thing to try and squeeze it out. Here, you know, it's a it, it, writing a book is uh, is. A bit like running a marathon whilst constipated, right? It's not not necessarily a fun thing to do, but I set myself that goal while I had the income coming in, and 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 it really was born of an era when Brexit had just happened, Trump was elected, and you know, without getting into the politics, you know that that combined with my own personal circumstances seemed to be a bit of a nadir, and so. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was looking at all of that chaos, and and then I was yeah you know, I was perhaps playing a few too many video games, games like Civilization, uh, games like Europa Universalis, uh, games like Crusader Kings, and coming from the video game space, coming from the TV space, it, that that kind of sadness, that kind of feeling of of, of wanting to have a do over. Of wanting to, well, what if I could just change all of this? What if I could rewrite history? And then tied with the love of Norse—that's where the All Father paradox came about. Because the you might have heard of the Grandfather paradox, right? Which is where you you go back in time, you kill your grandfather, which means that you can't actually be born, so you can't go back in time to kill your grandfather, etc., etc., etc. So I span that off into the All Father paradox because, like, if there's one other guy apart from me, and I'm being uh, yeah, particularly narcissistic here. But if there's one other guy apart from me who's got a bad rap from history, it's is is Odin, right? Odin got sidelined by Christianity, demonized, uh, vilified, and you know, in some cultures, you know, effectively turned into an analog of Father Christmas or, or Santa Claus. And I thought, you know, with all of the the learning and understanding I have of Norse myth, along with this just concept of Wouldn't it be great to have a do-over? Wouldn't it be great to throw history to the wolves as opposed to, uh, you know, go under in Ragnarok? And what would that look like? What would a pagan present look like? And that's what I set out to explore. So the Allfather Paradox was the first in that series. It was followed up by uh, Loki's wager. And... The thing we're talking about today, the the Jotun War, is uh, born out of all of that because those two books I mentioned are, are novels. But there was there was always a, a kind of better way to tell a war story, um, and I really felt, again, as a TV producer, understanding what would be in the frame of each picture that a comic would be able to do justice to it better than the written word could, or at least my written word could. So we came up with the Yoton War as a way of telling a and a, a portion of that history, a, a part of that story that's in the novels is standalone, um, but it does feed into the, the kind of
0: novels and what I call the Viking verse uh, as a whole. That's really cool. So let me ask you if you can tell us, is there is this come before the paradox or the Loki's wager or how does this fit within the other two Books uh, should someone read? Should we read something before this, or is this kind of like something that would be good to read before?
1: Yeah, so, so I did design it to be standalone, so that it tells a discrete war story. But there's a couple of things to to bear in mind. the The essence of Norse mythology is it is cyclical, mm-hmm. uh, in that there is always a rebirth. There's always the gods rising anew. And that's one of the things about the Norse character, right? You, you, The Vikings weren't perhaps afraid of hell or aspiring to heaven in the same ways that um, most of the Abramistic religions are because it was, you know, things were preordained. You rose to meet your fate. Your, your life was laid out at birth by the Norns. And that's, you know, when you got to the end of your rope, well, best to do it in the... In the best way possible, best to meet your makers, I suppose, in the, with your head held high. So there's also this notion, you know, uh, of the, the, the Norse didn't have really a soul. They have things that are analogous to it. You know, the, the Hermingia, uh, which is a kind of form of ancestral luck. They had the filgia, which is a, a, a follower, and I'm sure that your you and your listeners know all of this. Can can, can reference it, but. One of the things with those parts of the self is they didn't necessarily just go to the afterlife. They didn't necessarily just go to Valhalla or you know, one of the the aspects of hell. They were able to be passed on. They passed on to your ancestors. And there's the notion of um, your hammer, your your skin and, and the Hemingi, like I talked about, that would be able to be passed down through the generations. And so... Uh, to an extent, you were able to step on through as an ancestor, on through your kith and kin and have some form of immortality by virtue of that. And, and that's very different from, again, most Christian beliefs. That kind of spirituality really appeals to me and that kind of continuality, continuation of the essence appealed to me. And so that's this is a long way of getting back to your original question, which is what sh- what order should you read things? Everything is a loop, and all the more so with the paradox, right? Because, like I said, if the All Father goes back in time and resets time, then it comes to a point where time diverges, the timeline as we know it uh, changes, and you know there's a there's a different path, but. The current path by necessity has to exist and these two loops go alongside each other a bit like the coils of a DNA helix. Mm -hmm. That's how the paradox is best explained. You could explain it by the kind of Marvel multiverse theory that there's many branching universes, but these entangled, entwined, looping dual histories is the theory that I've uh, opted for. And so you you can... See then how these two things have these points of divergence. My point of divergence starts in about seven eight two. Seven eight two was when Charlemagne, the, the the father of Europe, Charlemagne the great, the first of the Holy Roman Emperors, when he massacred the Saxons and forced the Danes to remain behind the Danube, their great earthen. Ramparts had he not done so, or had the tides of war changed, then the Germanic religion uh, that the, the Saxons and the Angles and the Norse all tended to gravitate towards that might have persisted, and Christianity's growth and expansion into the east into Germany. Uh, Into Russia, etc., the Rus, as the Norse called it, that might have been stillborn. And so that's the point of divergence where, in my novels, things change and Christianity doesn't become this rampant crusading force, but rather it meets the shield wall of the Norse. And in actual fact, paganism turns the tide uh, and Charlemagne's heirs collapse. The Holy Roman Empire never comes to fruition. The, there is no crowning in uh, Rome of uh, a, a new Caesar. Uh, and in actual fact, then the, the remaining power uh, over in the east uh, set in what we now call Istanbul, but was once Constantinople, the second Rome uh, that the Norse traded with, that the Norse Varangian Guard became very much part of, that they called Miklagard, the great city that eventually succumbs to the Norse power. And what we have in the novels is then an emergent uh, Norse Europe that then proceeds to expand in the same way as perhaps the British Empire might have done. And certainly you see alternative history things uh, like uh, Life Ericsson. Life Ericsson, who we know... Um, landed in uh, Vinland, named Markland, etc., and set up the further expeditions and some abortive colonies. Imagine if he had not been the explorer who left Iceland with a small crew looking for timber, but imagine he had the backing of a whole Norse proto-empire at his back, and what the colonisation of what we now call America and Canada might have looked like if there are more resources behind them. So those are the kind of things that the novels explore, and the Jotun War then, fast forward to the equivalent of our Russian Revolution, to the equivalent of our World War I and Two. that is set in that epoch uh, where the... Norse Empire has expanded in a very different way to our current timeline because they, the, you know, unlike the Christians, they don't necessarily burn <clears throat> scientists as heretics and, you know, they embrace what we now call as witchcraft. And so there is a very, there is a culture in the modern pagan age that is born of the same exploration and technical innovation that created the longship that created the first lenses for for telescopes that embraced uh, Arabic number reckoning and cartography. And the present pagan world that I describe in the Jotun War is a world that's, that's able to have expanded into the nine home worlds of Norse mythology. And I'll stop there just to just to allow you to ask another question and not just bang on and infinite.
0: No, that was really fascinating and really interesting because when I was reading The Jotun War, I felt like it was standalone. But then again, I always it, it did feel like it was part of something bigger as well. I felt like there is something else that I, I could understand everything that was going on, but I still felt like I need, there's something else to this part of the story. So that was really interesting. And it kind of like, now I really want to read the other books to figure out how it all integrates. So I thought it was really cool going through the story and interacting with the, the the characters that we had and following them along. I really felt like a part of that team there. Even though I didn't have the whole world built for me, I didn't think I needed it. I think you did a great job of dropping us into this part of the story. We wake up, I mean, first page, and this isn't a spoiler, but just wakes up with the main character laying there opening his eyes, blood everywhere and dead people. And it's like, okay, I'm right in the middle of something
1: <laughs> yeah is uh, and that was the you know i talked a lot about Ragnarok, right and i wanted to i wanted to convey war in a in a very clear and visceral way and, and again you can do that in a comic in a, in a way that's difficult to do uh, on on the written page and it is meant to tell its own discrete story but but the viking verse as a whole it was just such a fascinating joy to explore to take all of these concepts uh, concepts that perhaps some people don't necessarily understand fully or embrace and and bring them to life to to give new guises to the gods in the same ways that stan lee gave uh, new guises to them right but but to try and do it with authenticity and reverence and at least um, some passing passing interest in the the history and the language, because I think that that's important as well. And and then that leads me on to the the, uh, latest book in the kind of Viking first family, which is Old Norse for Modern Times. What's just struck me as I was writing this is how, how influential Norse is, not just in terms of history, but in terms of the language. I mean, it's... It, the Germanic languages are also intertwined that words like you know, skull and steak and knife and you know, all of those are pretty much Old Norse words or the English versions of them. You know, names as well, classic names like Robert and Richard are just o- o- Old Norse in origin. And, and I started having some great fun when I was writing the books, pairing back names to their Old Norse equivalent. Things like, you know, there's an analogue for um, Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein's name in Old Norse. I mean, he was he was originally German, right? So it's it's not too hard to pair it back and Norsify it, and he just becomes uh, Albrecht Einstein. You can do that with with most names, apart from ones that are more of a more typically Christian or Jewish descent and from the Middle East. But most English names have a kind of Germanic origin, and so when you start to to bring them back and strip them back to their original origins you know richard would become right and when you when you pull them back to that it was just all all of that helped me immerse myself in the world because the names uh, become the universe and so old north modern times came from the realization that hell there's all kinds of fun things that you can say here you know i can i can I can come up with the equivalent of "Have you had a COVID test?" or "These are not the droids you're looking for," or or you know or or, you know a a Loki phrase, "You know, I am born of glorious purpose." All of those kind of things, and they have a, a perfectly valid way of saying it in Old Norse. Old Norse. People forget that the Vikings are not just this warrior race race of conquerors, but they're a race of poets, they're a race of craftsmen, they're a race of people who who bandied insults as an art form and your wordplay is at the essence of the culture. That's why we talk so much about scalds. And so I wanted to, I wanted to try and bring some of that language to life. And an Old Norse Modern Times was a collaboration with uh, a good friend of mine, Josh Gillingham, who I think you've spoken two before about his excellent game Old Thingy, but also a, a, an Icelandic professor. Here I'm something of a uh, of a dilettante here and. Uh, uh, I, I worked with an Icelandic professor called Arngrimur Verdalin who's out of the University of Reykjavik. His credentials including include translating um, Alice in Wonderland into Old Norse. And so he was uh, working with us last summer to take all of these phrases that, that are in common use and some funny ones and some ones from films and uh, some ones that Kickstarter Back has contributed and translate it into Old Norse. So, that there's this little funny, pithy phrase book where, you know, if you want to swear like Thor and, you know, demand another mead, then <laughs> uh, you can do so in Old
0: Norse. That sounds great. It sounds like a great companion to the Viking verse for sure. And just for fun, people spend a lot of time learning um, Klingon. Why not learn um, Old Norse in the Viking verse, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: I mean, I think uh, I've, I've had that a, a, a couple of times. and you role players as well right role players who are who've got a kind of vikings character reenactors who want to add some extra authenticity you know if you want to uh, command people to raise spears or uh, or tell people not to park on your lawn you know all of those things sound better in old Norse. <laughs>
0: they certainly would but you know i want to talk about your artists i mean we'll be Getting around to some of the other things as well, but I, um, so we have the the Jotun War is a collection of uh, the first three issues of the Jotun War and the fourth issue, which will be released as part of this. And as a separate issue as well, for those who've collected them as singles or in the comics world, they're called floppies. So you've worked with two artists on this, uh, Devmalia Pramanik and Ger Kirti. And I just want to uh, give them some credit because uh, they did some amazing, they both have done amazing work on this to bring the vision to life. And we'll talk about you working with them if you don't mind, but I want to give a little bit about each of one of them. So Devmalia uh, Pramanik is a comic artist based in India who, by his own work loves karmics and arts in every form. He usually works in pencil and ink mediums. You can find his artwork on DeviantArt and has done projects for Boom Studios as well as Outland Entertainment. So Dev Malia did the first three issues and Gare is the has done the fourth. He is a comic book artist and illustrator based in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He's a frequent collaborator of Terminus, a comic oh. magazine... Published in his in his country and does illustration work for Outland, Outland Entertainment, Goodman Games, and Gallant Knight Games. So you had some really amazing artists here. How did they come to you? Did you select them? Did Outland pair you? Did they say, "Hey, I see you're working on this project. I'm I'm interested." How did How did this kind of this pairing kind of come about for the artwork? Yeah, so Outland Entertainment, has the publisher, um, Jeremy,
1: there who's the the boss. He would kind of line up artists and say, "Here's their portfolio. What do you think? Does this match the right style?" Now, in Dev's um, case, yeah, we we had this kind of instant connection where all, all of us, all of us, thought, ah, his style is going to be great for this, and so we began that collaboration uh, for the first three episodes. Now, challenge with uh, someone like Dev and their level of talent is. Yeah, they've they've they're so in demand, right? And so, whilst we did those first three editions in relatively short order, I think they're over the, the space of a year. We got all three of those kickstarted. By the time the third one was out, you know, Dev had all kinds of things, he's now working on the June. And so, yeah, onto on to great things now. That's not to say that Gary isn't isn't great, um, you know, but in between there was a little bit of a hiatus because this thing called COVID came up, And, you know, not to say that my suffering is in any way comparable to you know, all of the millions of people who've suffered, uh, you know, lost loved ones or, or chronic ill health, um, but it was very disruptive to the just getting the comic out, getting the comic out. The Issue three was a nightmare to get out just because the post stopped. Mm-hmm. We we wrapped. I was trying to post it to everyone, and uh, people would say, "Well, where is it?" And I said, "Well, I posted it two months ago." Um, you know, such was the the vagaries of the pandemic. I think eventually everyone got it, but it was uh, it was challenging to deliver free to Kickstarter backers, and then you know, Dev got busy, and so we tried to bring on board other artists as 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 an alternate. And there's also a kind of a bit of a natural break point. Yeah, issues one to three do tell, again, without giving it away, there's there's a, a continuum there, and then issue four acts as a bit of a coda that kind of tells the, the end of the story, but it's set a few years later um, and on a different one of the nine homeworlds. So that was where we, we tried a couple of different artists, and then COVID got in the way of that and interrupted their work schedules and made them. Uh, gave them ill health and retarded their ability to deliver on time, and uh, and then Valentin again jumped into the the hot seat as late as this January, and we looked at a bunch of people, but he was the one that. Was able to both take what Dev had done before, and not only kind of capture the spirit of it, but but also you know enhance it in some way. right give it is it's similar, but also a new spin. It, it's it's the same characters, but in a in a different light and i find that fascinating in itself right because the characters start off in my head as as one thing and they're on the they, when i convey them to the artist it's here's a paragraph make something of this paragraph and you, know, you might give them some reference material but no one has no one has uh, has created this viking verse this 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 pagan present and Norse future before. And so you're relying on them to to get on the same wavelength of you and be able to to deliver something that is compelling, um, that that is the best approximation of what's in your mind's eye. And I think both of them did an admirable uh job of that. You know, And it, and as we come up with other projects in the Viking version, we're we're in the process now of putting together a role-playing game and the ability to draw on that art and to have uh, Gear
0: do more yeah, is
1: just uh, uh, I want to say a godsend, but perhaps I should say God's send.
0: <laughs> I really like how they incorporated elements that we associate with Viking era and keeping it brought into the future to where we are now, and so it kind of kept a nice consistency or a nice link across the the time span and, and through the the war and through all of the things that go on. So I, I really love the artwork. I am an observant person, but I was so excited to just get into this. I just started reading and I didn't realize that the artist had switched. I thought it was Gare Curdy throughout the whole book. And then when I got to chapter four, I was like, this is a very different art style. It reminds me of the old comic book artist from Marvel and DC named Steve Ditko, who helped create uh, spider-man he created the look of spider-man and steve ditko is very much what gare Curdy's artwork sort of reminds me of it's in that style and i was and i was like this is this is a very different style but it wasn't it definitely as you said it continued it through and and gave it a very nice slightly change of visual so that it, it represented this chapter and I, I really liked it, and it was a great job. I, I, yeah, I, I,
1: the, the way that I described it to you know in, to him in the briefing was: imagine episodes one to three, issues one to three are kind of the equivalent of World War Two. This last one is is a Korea or is a Vietnam. It's uh, it, you know, it's. I think that that the way. Describing it like that just helps you. You know, you can just imagine in your mind's eye the kind of World War II posters and Uncle Sam and all of that stuff. And then by the time Korea and Vietnam rolled around, the, the world was different. It was a matter of decades, but styles move on, and that's what I wanted to do. You know, so there's a there's a an evolution as opposed to a complete change.
0: Right? Yeah. No, and it's and it's a great one, and it feels organic. How did you? and the artists uh, communicate how did this how did you get the vision of what you wanted or did they read your script and then send you a bunch of uh, artwork and you're like that works or that doesn't work
1: Um uh, was a relatively tight script but open to a lot of interpretation i mean there's some big splash pages that one page is full of action where my description was very scant very basic and you know it just like go to town guys these are these are the elements you know, show me what you've got. So, in some senses, there there was a there was a something of a blank canvas. In others, um, you know that that kind of historical detail. The, the good thing about being immersed in history, being a history nerd myself, is is being able to draw upon the the, the long tradition of the British Army. Right, you can. Mm-hmm you can follow redcoats uh, all the way back to, you, know, to, to, you can see regiments uh, that go all the way back. And, and sometimes they're reformed, but there's elements that make it across in forms of things like coat of arms. And so that's what I wanted to do as well, because the Viking verse really is telling this history of this civilization. It just so happens that the main protagonist, uh, whose name is, is Guest, and I can talk about him in a bit more detail, um, in a mo, but he is uh, a very long-lived soldier, and he has witnessed all of these Norse battles going back to uh, you know the sons of Ragnar and and even slightly further back. And so he comes with him with all of these scars and badges and trophies and. Uh, and and then things evolve because you know he starts off with swords and spears and then by the Model age he's he's you know, he wields rifles and and other um, you know sonic weapons at one point and the world has very much changed and he is this almost static almost unmoving character within it that 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 is a, a relic brought to life you know a. a uh, uh, a walking paragon of the of the ancient age, and that's uh, that because he has seen it all and been there and done that. He, you know, he was he was around at the fall of Miklagard, you know, and he then puts the war into context in the sense that. These guys have always been at war. These guys have always been fighting their demons. But that's the key thing in a world stripped of Christianity. There aren't really devils and demons. There are the Norse equivalent, who are the jotnar, the these devourers, these these elemental forces, because. Before Christianity came along with its its concepts of light and dark and heaven and hell, there was just the freezing cold or the the roaring volcano um, on your doorstep, and that was what you had to be afraid of. The wolf in the night. You didn't have time to be as uh, existential as to worry about um, you know whether you had been good enough for your soul to. Go to heaven. You just had to survive against just the sheer awfulness of nature, and that's what the jotnar, which is the plural of jotun, represent in the pagan present in the war as described. We, we because this is a kind of analog to World War II. Adolf Hitler and the Nazis—they were demonized. They were they were creatures of darkness, and that's how you fight a war. You find your enemy and you turn them into the most despicable. Horrible, hated thing that you can, because that enables you to uh, despise them and get rid of them with impunity. In the Norse world, I wanted to turn that idea on its head and have the Norse rebellion against thraldom, against slavery that was very much part of their civilization, and persists into my Norse present. I wanted the rebellion to take on the form of Norse nightmares, which which are the jotnar. To have people come back as these. What we now gloss as giants, um, not you know, giants, is actually more of a French word, géant, and uh, uh, the notion that these creatures were just gigantic monstrosities was not part of Norse mythology. Some of them were, but some of them were, were, were beautiful, and again, as you know, some of them sired the gods themselves. Gareth and Skadi. <laughs> so exactly, and you know, and uh, and Odin and, and Thor are either half or one quarter Jotun, know, right? So these aren't entirely alien beings, but they they were demonized back then and turning that stuff of nightmares into the adversary or into the the reason for rebellion was was one of the things they wanted to do. It's a kind of equivalent to the Russian Revolution with the with the peasants rising up and overthrowing serfdom. It's just these guys do it in the guise of... uh, These guys in the guise, if you see what I mean, of uh, many-headed monstrosities.
0: Yeah, and it looks like you have a lot more story to tell because we did not get a wrap-up at the end of Issue 4, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but we have a very interesting cliffhanger. (laughs) Well, you you do and you don't,
1: right? There's enough there that... And it's interesting because I think that you've got a version where it's, it, there's an amendment to come to the last panel because the, the very last page has got a couple of edits that have gone into it, which perhaps make things a bit more clear. And certainly by the time you know, as you are a kind Kickstarter backer, by the time you get your final versions, you'll you'll see a bit more of how that foreshadowing happens. But it does, while it does conclude it is slightly cyclical and it is also then an enticement to delve into the more complex uh, and certainly longer or father Paradox and then uh, Loki's Wager from there. Because those novels do take the universe further, do tell the, the more chapters
0: from the, the whole history. I really like how you have intertwined it this way. And I love your challenge at the foreword of the book here is that you would be fascinated to hear from those who have read both as to whether you put all of the pieces of the puzzle together. So let's challenge our listeners, including me to read the All Fathers Paradox and this and see how we put that together because that would be quite interesting to see how that goes through.
1: So I so I will I will do this. I will happily come back and talk to you in depth and we can put it all together and answer any questions once you've once you've done that. And I will rather than give you spoilers now, you can see how the threads and this is that's the crucial word because the threads that the norms tease out at birth run all the way through this and you know it, it's a weave they weave a tapestry and that comes up time and time again in the uh, in the sagas in the poems and and, and that's what I'm trying to do here. And so some of these stories are, again, standalone. When you read, uh, if you get to Loki's Wager, you'll see an alternate telling of the Mongol invasion of Europe. And in our history, the Mongols plough through Russia, uh, or at least the, the, the Russian states, the proto-Russian states, and they put them under what's called the Tata yoke for many centuries until eventually the Russians... Shrug it off uh, and reclaim their territory, but there is a famous you know, the 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 whole of the Kievan Rus and what the Norse called Knyagrad, the the city that we now call Kiev, that was once a a, a bastion of the of the East, a, a shining jewel of the uh, Orthodox Church, and it was completely destroyed by the Mongols. Now. Again, if you know your history, you know that all of those Russian, what we now are known as Russian cities, some academics believe were founded by the Norse. And certainly uh, kings like Vladimir in the Old Norse, it would be Valdemar. Uh, they, They intermarried with the kings and queens of Sweden and Norway and they sent their troops to pay homage to the Emperor in Mikagar in Constantinople and so there's this this Varangian trade route um, and Norse lifeblood might again be in the pagan retelling if instead of becoming Slavic and Christian those towns and cities had remained Norse and part of the Garthariki, the the chain of towns, um, effectively a shield wall. I love the idea of that Mongol horse archer coming up against a Viking shield wall and what that alternative future would have been. So there's a Perhaps there's another series of comics, but certainly that one is told in Loki's wager, and and all of the books tell these these individual standalone stories that all connect, but tell the story of this civilization uh, through the eyes of the same characters as you see in the comic.
0: I find that that very interesting, the Viking version and, and what you just said, Ian, because there's a series of films called Red, White, and Blue. It's a French film series, and they're in. are three very separate films. They're completely independent. If you saw one but didn't see any of the others, it wouldn't matter. But when you watched all three of them, they took place in the same town, and some of the characters very slightly interacted with the other stories, but not in depthly. So it's not like a continuation or a sequel. Is that how uh, the Viking verse acts? Or so we have stories taking place within a greater universe that may or may not directly interact or maybe characters shift from one story to the other. No, Listen. no,
1: no, I think it's, I think it's fair enough. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. My literary equivalent was uh, cloud Atlas by David Mitchell,
0: um, which has
1: got a series of related stories that are often linked by uh, something as simple as a mention in a diary or uh, an artifact that's in one that is then in the other story and it tells this span of time sometimes with the most tenuous of links but then in when you kind of when you tie that tapestry all together then you ah oh, I see and it sounds very similar I haven't seen the films that you mentioned I've heard of them but it sounds very similar to what you're describing so generally speaking look I mean it uh, is not too much of a spoiler to say that uh, Odin is uh, is a master of Say that he's a master of shape changing. He is a he is the archetypal sorcerer, right? He's he's perhaps the model for Gandalf. Um, and so, in that sense, if you look closely, you will find whether it's whether it's him or it purports to be him, or it's an aspect of Odin. He is there, pulling the strings, pulling the weave, and that's. The fascinating thing, sometimes he's there in plain sight, uh, other times he's not. Sometimes, you know, w- just to get sci-fi for a second. There are all kinds of trips about there, about how you might get to interspace, inter- interstellar stuff. I liked the idea, again, drawing on, on Norse mythology of, of something called the thought and memory, born of uh, Hugin Amundin his, his ravens and again that taps into spirituality right because we're so much more than the notion of the soul we are the the who the mind the thought and that can persist after our death at least in in the norse worldview and so that's my sci-fi equivalent i also toy around with the notion of the world tree and Yggdrasil becomes a central pillar in the way that the Norse cosmology is all organised. But that thought and memory drive replacing, you know, hyperdrive or whatever, you know, Star Trek uses... Uh, I thought was a neat way of doing it. It's much more in keeping with the the Norse worldview. You, you are able to project your mind and travel. Uh, it happens all the time in the sagas. Why not just transfer that into a scientific present where it's understood and manipulated and kind of mass-produced in the same way as the airports are now?
0: Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to seeing those. I love the depiction of the Norse. I think that's really cool and the depiction of the big bad of the fourth issue. I don't know if we should say who it is because I don't know if it's very clear, so I'm not gonna say it just in case.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean look he's 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 uh again, nothing is nothing is obvious in the sense that it's, it's kind of hiding in plain sight. Yeah. But I you know, I'm gonna we can Talk about it. You yeah. there's a the the notion of Loki as as an entangler, as someone who you know, is spider-like. There's all kinds of you know, again. It goes to the language. It goes to trying to understand what the original word meant and you can if you're reading Simic's dictionary of North mythology, you get one interpretation, other academics you know think of other things. You know, is he a fire god? Is he a trickster god? Is he linked to you know the 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 mythology of the you know of North America and the the First Nations or the, the Native Americans and their trickster gods. Is there a commonality that has come through the circumpolar shamanism and the and the Finnic uh, beliefs uh, and and shamans and their notions of spells like Gand so there's 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 all of this commonality that just comes from myth because myth is a blueprint for how we understand the world but myth as a blueprint is also easy to turn into propaganda right you can you can take someone's drawing for a house you can add on an extension and it becomes an entirely different entirely different edifice and so whilst it looks, from the face of it, but the you know, the antagonists and protagonists are a variants of uh, Odin and Loki. Just how we get to them, and how they're created, and how they're born, and you know how it ties back into Norse myth, and how it ties back into Christianity, and the threads of the Norns, all of that—that's really what the story is. So, I don't think it's spoiling it to say that, on the face of it, it looks like those are uh, the characters at play, but there is so much depth. Uh, that, that goes beyond Tom Hiddleston and, and his Marvel interpretation. You know that's gloriously fun, but yes, it is just unpicking the twine, unpicking the threads. That's that's the exercise. And so, you know, these books aren't for the aren't for the faint-hearted. You know, there's a cover quote I got that the the Your Father Paradox, for example, is a bit like. Guyman's American Gods meets Doctor Who, which is a British TV series about time travel. And they are they are for people who have a reverence for Norse mythology and understand it because I don't waste much time trying to explain things, and neither do I have the, the kind of simplistic version of Norse mythology that often gets trotted out where you know it's all black and white and hell is this. Woman with one blue side and you know one white side is just 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 not the case. You know Fen- Fenris and and Skoll and Garm, the the various wolves, you know, they're probably all the same thing. And to try and make it black and white is to misunderstand Snorri Sturluson's overzealous interpretation of the old myths. So yeah, you know, what I'm saying there is. Is they are a read for people who really
0: do want to immerse themselves in Norse or who are already. Do you have things sort of plotted out into the future or are the stories kind of revealing themselves to you as you go along?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> because when the the, 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 the open war was, was relatively easy
0: because I'd written
1: the All Father Paradox I knew where War was going to go and that box it was compartmentalized and All Father Paradox if you read it, it you know it, it it ends you know it, it wasn't that like I set out to write a myriad of these books you know, I thought this is a good story you know, this and it and it ends in the same way as the Ragnarok ends, but that's the joy of it is that you know like I said it's cyclical and and then I just love the notion that Paganism got polluted by Christianity. You know, you've got all of Snorri talking about this rebirth and light angels and you know, Los Alpha and Doc Alpha and conflating all of the spirits with their Christian equivalents and you know and and things like the Alpha getting shrunk into the fairies at the end of your garden or getting turned into Tolkien's pointy pointy eared arrow uh, wielders. You know, that's what that's not what Norse mythology was and trying to strip that back in the same way as I try and strip back the language to remove the Latin influence to remove because there's no more mother church to remove the French influence because the Normans didn't become you know, the, the standard errors for Christianity in this in this universe so you try and pair it all back you pair it back to the original myth the original language and then you build from there and so there's all kinds of building blocks there and so while i did start with something that was relatively discreet and i did think oh my god i've painted myself into a corner because you know the world has ended and you know that's that's uh, there's a hint of rebirth but how do i get out of this it is it, is all there you know every all the Christian parables, all the Norse myths—they're all about second chances. They're all about uh, rebirth, the Renaissance or Renaissance, as you might say in your part of the world. Uh, you know is is a, it means rebirth, and it came partly about because when the Turks sacked in 1453 Constantinople, uh, all of this Greek knowledge went into the West. And, uh, and then suddenly, you know, the, and, the, and the Greek and Arabic knowledge that was part of the Byzantine uh, libraries, that goes into the West. So if the Norse had 200, 300 years earlier beat the Turks to it and taken over the and taken over all of that Roman and Greek and Arabic knowledge, then they would have taken their propensity to, you know, embrace Far-flung climes and new horizons and new knowledge and and be fearless about it. And they would have had all of that knowledge in advance of the Turks and in advance of the Muslim world. And so, oh my god! I mean, there's so many things you can tell. There's so many bits of history you can go. Oh my god! If the Norse had done that, you know what? What would the Norse version of a internal combustion engine be? given that trees were inherently sacred Mm -hmm. they're not they're not going to be uh at least my conceit is they're not going to be particularly interested in chopping down all the old growth in the world for the purposes of of powering vehicles especially when you've got these notions of you know thought and memory drive and just a different outlook on the universe you're not Obsessed with your soul and going to heaven, you're not obsessed with making everyone into a Christian and going around and converting them at the point of swords. Or, you know, in the case of Canada, as you we now have, you know, all of the schools where they grabbed children, forcibly converted them, and and taught them all kinds of uh abhorrent Catholic things, and then buried them, buried half of them in mass graves. I mean, how appalling is organized religion. I think we might have been better off had we had a more natural, a uh, nature—not uh, nature worshiping, but but just embracing the natural world, understanding the natural world. Something that was a bit more spiritual, something that wasn't architected
0: by kings for the purposes of kings staying as kings. Sounds like you have a lot of more stories to tell, and I hope you do. I'm looking forward to seeing some other of our. Characters are, are people from the mythology, maybe Fenrir would be cool, and Idun, whoever else comes about. I mean,
1: <laughs> well, it, yeah, Idun is, uh, is one you will, you will very quickly
0: find. Wonderful. I can't wait to read. Is there anything that you can share about that you want to share about? What's coming up? What are you working on? Uh, what's on the the short horizon, not the long term, because we know that things might always change.
1: Well, one of the things that we tease a little bit on the Kickstarter is when the wolf comes. When the wolf comes is the RPG that we're working on. So when the pandemic came along, uh, lots of things happened, one of which was I rekindled my interest in Dungeons & Dragons and role playing games and started playing with my kids, it's been about thirty years since I was Dungeon Master, but uh, my sins—I picked it all up, and I thought, oh, you know, I love this. I love this when I was a kid. I love, you know, it's a different form of storytelling, right? It's, 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 it's very Norse in itself. It's a very oral tradition. So we took what we've got today, and um, and whilst there will be a third book and other books in the series. I went on a little bit of creative hiatus because of COVID it just drives you insane right it's difficult to be right. creative in COVID but we the time that I did have away from the day job weekends and evenings we've been working on when the wolf comes and it's uh it's a quote, actually, from Gilfanning, which is related to Odin, related to Ragnarok. And it, it's, he says at one point, you know, about the uh, Einherjar, he says, they will, seem too, they will seem too few when the wolf comes. And I just thought, oh, that is the most poetic thing I've ever heard. You've got these legions of people who uh, have thronged to you throughout history, these chosen warriors, but they will still seem too few when the wolf comes, and that notion of when the wolf comes with all of the things that this world has been through with you know climate change and all of that the perils still to come and the pandemic, you know when the wolf comes uh seems to just really conjure the specter of Ragnarok, but also that notion that you we should if the inevitable is coming, let's stand and face it in the best possible way. And if I can create a role-playing game that kind of allows people to, to, with kind of gritty realism in the face of the end of all things, they still face it and act heroically. That's a role-playing game I want to play. As, a, as opposed to one with pointy-eared elves
0: who, uh, and, and short, stumpy dwarves. Drives me insane. It's great. Well, I'd look forward to seeing that come along and sharing that as well.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. uh, you know, further on down the line, you know, Josh who you spoke to about All Thingy, he made that great game and the old Norse Modern Times actually came out of a playtest session from All Thingy we we were talking oh, about. Oh, did it? Oh. about two about two years ago we were sat play testing on thingy around my dining room table and and all kinds of things came out of that and he came last summer with a prototype for a viking that we picked around for a bit but we haven't been able to get into each other's backyards for a while because of covid but that may well uh, resurface at some point when we
0: you know like you say all gather around the table and uh, break bread and drink mead once again well, I appreciate you taking the time with me. I'm going to have links to the Kickstarter because I'm going to get this out as quickly as I can. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it closes on July 17th. It is fully funded. So that's great. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, they, they, it's, it's in a weird state right now with the
1: nature of Kickstarter things. The first two weeks fly by and gets funded. Week three and most of week four is this, this uh, moribund... Uh, wasteland and then suddenly for a
0: few days it all goes crazy again so thank you so much for joining us ian and i will look forward to talking with you again and hopefully maybe we could talk get together and talk about our father paradox and loki's wagers as a separate episode and just uh, chat it up and see what else is going on thank you for listening please have a look at the show notes for links and well notes Podcast is available from Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and other podcast catchers. Feedback and reviews are greatly appreciated. Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at @weirdgifts1 and on Facebook at, at @giftsoftheweird. And email me at giftsoftheweird.com. Thanks and have a great day.